Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've sung of your saving grace this morning. And we pray as we look at your word this morning that uh, your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. We pray that your Holy Spirit would give us the hope of eternity saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, we're in a short series uh, that Will has called uh, The Shadow of the Cross, looking at some Old Testament events and passages that point us towards the cross and the death of Jesus as we move towards Easter time. Well, last week, Alex brought us how God, the God of the Israelites, is a God who provides a God of love, and a God who cares for his people. We saw that through the account of Moses taking up his son for that potential sacrifice. Well, this message of a loving God who provides is repeated again in our passage this morning that we have had read for us, Exodus 12, verses 1 to 7. You might like to keep that open. Now, I don't know if I came round and asked you individually, what is the big issue in your life today? I'm sure we would get different responses. I'm sure that some people would say, well, something to do with Brexit or Donald Trump or the economic situation or, heaven forbid, even Norwich City. Um, But I wondered, you know, is the big issue for us today the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Well, for the the people of Israel, as recorded in Exodus, uh, we've got a remarkable account here of 3,000 years ago. The big issue for them was, of course, slavery. Slavery within Egypt, within the Pharaoh's reign. And our account this morning points us towards God's way of salvation for his people, not only from enslavement by the uh, people of of Egypt, but also, of course, enslavement to sin. So let's put this uh, this passage into some sort of context, because we sort of, Will has sort of plucked this out. We've not been looking at Exodus in the last few weeks. So what do we got? Well, we've got that Israel is still in Egypt after 400 years of being enslaved. An awful long time, 400 years. Take us back to what, 1617. Can you imagine our society enslaved for that length of time? What it would do to our psychic, what it would do to us as people. But God is working. Again and again we read in, this, in these first chapters of Exodus that God sends plagues against the Egyptians. But Pharaoh's heart becomes hard and he won't let the people go. Finally, in this account, we come to the tenth and most dramatic plague is let loose against the people and the land of Egypt. All the firstborn of the humans and animals are struck down. But the people of Israel have a different experience. They are saved. 
So what happens then? Well, God instructs the Israelites to slaughter an unblemished, that is, a perfect lamb, and they make a meal of it. They are to eat this meal, dressed ready for travel, with their tunics tucked in, ready to go up, because God is going to leave them, lead them out of Egypt. Furthermore, they are to take some of the blood from the slaughtered lamb, and they are to mark the doorposts and the lintels, with this blood. And this bloody mark will, at the entrance, will spare the Israelites from the tenth plague because the Lord, we are told, will pass over their houses. Hence, the name of this is the Passover, the festival that celebrates the deliverance uh, of the entire people of Israel. Now, at the time of Jesus, this Exodus experience and the Passover celebration remained at the heart of what it meant to be a Jewish person. The Jewish people recognized that their God acts in history, their God liberates the people from bondage and leads them out into freedom. And this Exodus is the outstanding salvation event that God brings about in the Old Testament times. Whereas in the New Testament, of course, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is the outstanding salvation event. In the New Testament, we see repeatedly some of the great realities of the Old Testament being reborn in an unexpected way. And this process of rebirth is seen as we come towards the death of Jesus. We need to be clear ourselves that there is a close connection between the Passover and the death of Christ. And this is shown us clearly in the Gospels. We read in Mark's Gospel, for instance, John's Gospel, there is this link between the Last Supper, which didn't just point back to Exodus, but pointed forward to Jesus' death. We see the same in other readings. In 1 Peter, for instance, Peter the Apostle connects Jesus' death and the Passover lamb. He refers to the lamb, the blood, and redemption. And and Paul also, in 1 Corinthians, makes this very explicit as well. So this whole account then that we've got in front of us is all about salvation. So if I can have my, my first slide is up there. Good, excellent. What we're going to see is what were people, God's people saved from, what were they saved by, and what other people saved to. So let's have a look at this in a bit more detail. Firstly, what were these three aspects of God's salvation? Firstly, what were people, what were God's people saved from? Well, they were saved from destruction. If you look at Exodus 12, verse 12, it says this, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. This is God's statement. God is in control of that society. This is the tenth and the last plague that the Lord inflicted on Pharaoh and his land. And many times the Lord had said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And many times the Lord had shown his authority over Pharaoh and his gods. And many times Pharaoh had refused to let the people go 
and hardened his heart. And now we've got to the time where the times of warnings is over and the time for judgment is beginning. So we read in chapter 12, verse 29, at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. And I think you need to note here, we all need to note here how inclusive this judgment was. Because all the people and all the animals of Egypt were to suffer this action of God. Pharaoh and all his officials, we read, got up during that night and there was heard loud wailing in Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead in it. That's pretty somber stuff, isn't it? And it's often people say, well, that's okay because that's Old Testament stuff. But it isn't Old Testament stuff because divine judgment is just as much found in the New Testament as in the Old Testament. In Romans 5, verse 9, Paul writes, of those being saved from God's wrath through Christ. The difference is that whereas in the Old Testament, God's judgment is mainly short-term and temporal, in the New Testament, it's predominantly eternal. It was, in fact, Jesus himself who said in Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so I think it's important for us this morning is that we don't forget what we have been saved from. Saved from destruction. Saved from eternity without the presence of God. Saved from there being no love or justice at that point. Saved from God's righteous anger at the sinful actions within our lives. This, of course, is what the New Testament calls hell. And so then, let us there be for an urgency in our hearts and minds and a note of warning on our lips as we share with others the good news that Jesus' death on the cross took the punishment that we all deserve. In fact, a true recognition of this situation of judgment that Christ died to take the punishment for our sins, that we are saved by Christ's action that we celebrate at communion should be one of the driving forces behind programs of evangelism, our sharing the good news to those that don't know it. And can I suggest to each one of us, including myself, that this urgency of evangelism, telling others of their need for salvation offered by Jesus, can be related to how much we believe in God's judgment. When the reality of judgment isn't believed in or taught, when God's people within God's company, there is usually little evangelism. Likewise, the opposite is true. When we look at the histories of different revivals and we see many people coming to Christ, what do we note about the preaching? It was full of judgment and full of the need for salvation. This passage 
tells us that God provides a way for us being saved from destruction. So the question for us is, do we believe this this morning? Secondly, what are the people being saved by? What are the people being saved by? Well, they're being saved by the blood. From this account, we see, we read that a lamb has to be carefully chosen and slaughtered. And there had to be a lamb or a goat for each household, and some of the blood had to be daubed on the door frames of the houses of the Israelites. Exodus 12, verse 13 says this, The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Note within this judgment of God that there was to be death within every household. The judgment involved the death of the firstborn in the house of the Egyptians and the death of a lamb in the houses of the Israelites. You could say that the lamb was a substitute. And so we see here that there is a double salvation at work within this Passover. There was salvation from the tyranny of the Egyptians and from the judgment of God. And as far as the latter is concerned, it was the lamb that provided a substitute that would bear the penalty. Now, we may well ask ourselves, of course, why was it that the Israelites were to be subjected to God's judgment and needed protection from it? Well, the answer is found in Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 4 to 10, which tells of how the Israelites, while they were in Egypt, had assimilated some of the Egyptian lifestyles and participated in the idolatry of their Egyptian masters. And therefore, they were no less deserving of God's judgments. But the Israelites were spared because the lamb was not spared. Now, I think you'd recognize the fact that there was, a, there was no indication in this passage, no suggestion that God needed the lamb's blood on the lintels to tell him where the Israelites lived. He was the God who created the whole of the universe He didn't need the sign of the blood to say where the Israelites lived. No, there was the need for the death and the sacrifice of the blood for the judgment to be complete. Now, the New Testament, too, teaches that we are saved by the blood of a lamb. If you remember back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist pointed out to Jesus and declared, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Gospels are careful to point out that Jesus died at the time of the Passover, and they associated the Last Supper with the Passover meal itself. Peter uses the Passover language when he says in 1 Peter 1 verse 18 that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And Paul clinches it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, where he says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Of course, 
there again is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Passover became an annual sacrifice, sacrifice celebrated by each family. Each family, each year, had to take a lamb. But Christ's sacrifice is once and for all. We read in Hebrews 7, verse 27, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifice repeatedly. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. But one thing does remain the same between the two testaments, and that is the lamb's blood was not merely shed, it had to be applied. The blood of Christ is not just a concept, a piece of theology, a theory, a debating point. No, it's not just part of our history, of our church, or of our country. It has to be accepted and applied individually. It's as we confess our sins to Jesus, as we believe that his death on the cross took the punishment for them and trusting God to walk in his life, that the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. And so we have been saved by the blood of Christ. The question for us is, have we claimed this for ourselves this morning? Have we claimed this sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross for our salvation? Thirdly, what's the third thing that comes from this passage? Well, what were the people saved to? What were they saved to? Well, they were saved to celebrate. Look at chapter 12, verses 2. It says this, This month is for you to be the first month of your year. So momentous was this Passover time that it signaled the beginning of the new calendar year for the Jewish people. It was their celebration day. This is a day you are to commemorate, we read in verse 14, for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And the Passover itself was set into the context of a week-long festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it was to be a major celebration for the people of God. And we too are saved to celebrate. Peter writing again in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says this, you, that is, you believers in Jesus, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And it's no accident, is it, that the, uh, our communion service is sometimes called the Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. And it's for this reason that we can hold services of Holy Communion in a festive setting as well as in a more subdued one. The Passover celebrated deliverance for one nation, the children of Israel. But the body of Jesus was broken his blood was shed, not for one nation, but that all might come to God. We read of this in Revelation 5, which teaches us that his blood, with his blood, Jesus has purchased people for God from every tribe, every language, every people 
and every nation. And so this sacrifice of Jesus, death on the cross, is for all, which includes people of all status, all levels of education, all levels of work. It is one of the marks of the church that it should be inclusive of all people who have submitted to Jesus and accepted his death on the cross for their sins. Now, of course, this inclusiveness has been a recent topic of discussion within the Church of England Synod with regard to human sexuality and practice. Well, can I suggest that this inclusiveness is possible when we all recognize our sinful natures, we all come to Jesus and repent of our actions and submit our lives in their totality to God's Holy Spirit and laws. It's a lesson that the church has had to learn down through history and will continue to do so. Because when we center upon Jesus and his death, it will lead to celebration. It's no wonder, is it, that we read that the continual song of the redeemed in heaven is worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So it's a point of celebration for us this morning that we who are followers of Jesus on earth, we can join in that hymn of celebration to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb who to be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. We have been saved to celebrate. And when we are in heaven together, we will spend our lives celebrating the goodness of God and the death of Jesus on the cross. This Passover passage points us towards God's plan for us being saved from destruction, saved by the blood of Christ, and saved to celebrate. And so at the first Passover, it was the substitutionary death of a lamb that the firstborn of the Israelites was spared God's judgment. The New Testament writers regards Jesus' death in the same way, so as by his people might be spared God's wrath. That's the good news that we have got to share with our friends and neighbors, our colleagues, our family, that we have a God who provided for his people in Egypt, but also that this God sent his son, Jesus, to earth to live and to die on the cross, to take the punishment for our sins, so that we can become children of God now and forever.